From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, well, welcome back to the OCFA's Pass Along Podcast. This episode is uh, part two of the Cancer Awareness and Prevention Program that we started up. And it includes an interview with retired Deputy Chief Ron Blau, who unfortunately lost his wife um, and retired OCFA firefighter 27 years, Mary. Uh, and uh, he lost her to cancer last month, as you all know. And I want to just share a brief uh, audio clip with him. Mary and I, we worked our careers looking forward to retirement. And over those years, we made this huge list of things that we were going to do together in retirement. And we even joked at one point, we looked at the list and said, that's going to take us 20 years to get all this stuff done. We got two. Two. So uh, that's coming up soon. But before we get into that, let's go over some news and some noteworthy items of late. As most of you are aware, OCFA units have been battling the Canyon Fire since Monday afternoon, about 1 p.m. Uh, fire started along the 91 freeway where we've had a, a boatload of fires over the years uh, near Cole Canyon Road and uh, the cause is still under investigation. Fire to, to date, uh, or actually up to just now, um, time-wise, uh, is up to 2,000 acres, about 5% contained as of 1 p.m. today, Tuesday, September 26th. There are over 900 firefighters on this incident and we are in unified command with our partner agencies in the area. As you know, it's kind of a complex area. Uh, where you bring together all the counties in our solar plan, um, as well as all the different partner agencies in different jurisdictions, state, local, and federal. So we have Anaheim, Orange City, Corona, uh, United States Forest Service, as well as CAL FIRE, and uh, in our own um, folks as well. So just want to give a quick uh, shout out and thanks to the crews who've been on the line. Uh, obviously, um, you know, they're... Uh, they're putting out maximal effort to assist the folks in our partner agencies. And uh, last night when the fire bumped into Corona, that was pretty spectacular uh, with some outstanding structure protection. Um, aviation assets, ground assets working together, to protect structures and, and safeguard the folks in those areas was just outstanding. And I also want to say thanks to the guys who are covering the stations. Uh, obviously, uh, we still field anywhere from 350 to 400 calls a day. And so we need to protect our own fire stations. So the folks that were called back, I want to say thank you for coming back to work. Um, and for those who are already here and working to cover our own dirt uh, while we fight this fire, it's just uh, extraordinary, so thank you. Also, uh, just of last note, um, on the fire, that is uh, our OCFA uh, Type 3 Incident Management Team, led by uh, Division Chief Jeff Adams, um, took over the fire last night, and then I was uh, there with uh, much of our command staff at the transition to CAL FIRE Team 6 uh, this morning, and uh, not only do we have that sense of um, thanks uh, to see the professionalism and the skill and aptitude that our own team has, but it's also neat to have that recognized by uh, folks from CAL FIRE um, all the way up to, at the top of their chain of command uh, and watch the transition in a very orderly, smooth uh, way that um, really highlighted the skill set of our folks um, on the ground as well as in our incident management team. So just want to say thanks. Keep up the uh, great work that you guys are doing out there. and. Um, I want to do uh, one last little tidbit here before we move on to our featured segment, and that has to do with Garden Grove. Uh, I put out uh, update number one, uh, which will be the first of a series of updates uh, over the 120-day process for which we are putting together a fire service proposal for the city of Garden Grove. They formally requested this uh, on the 22nd of this month, and then this Thursday on the 28th, we'll bring it before the board 
And assuming that the board authorizes it, then we'll have the 120 days from that point to produce a comprehensive document for them that um, basically costs out what the city of Garden Grove would have to pay to become a cash contract city for the OCFA and for us to provide fire, EMS, and really all risk protection, including education, uh, prevention, and dispatch for them. So um, look out for that. I'll try to keep those uh, periodically so that you're up to speed on the latest and greatest of Garden Grove. Uh, I will be the executive lead, but uh, really the nuts and bolts will be the project manager, which uh, is in our strategic services section. That's Battalion Chief Brad Phoenix. All right, moving on to our feature segment, part two of our dis uh, discussion on cancer awareness and prevention. Uh, within the fire service, and this is led by Captain Jeff Hughes, and he's joined once again by uh, Battalion Chief Brad Phoenix, uh, Risk Manager Jonathan Wilby, and Firefighter and Cancer Survivor Austin Cree, as well as Megan Shacklett, as you recall uh, from our previous intro, and she's a daughter of retired uh, Fire Captain Jerry Shacklett, who lost his battle with cancer, and then also, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, retired Deputy Fire Chief Ron Blau. So take a listen. All right, well, welcome back for uh, part two of the uh, OCFA uh, Firefighter Contamination Reduction uh, talk on cancer awareness and prevention. Uh, thanks for joining us on part two. Well, we were, uh, we were lucky enough to spend a few minutes with retired Deputy Chief uh, Ron Blau, uh, who certainly has uh, a background in occupational uh, cancer. Uh, so thanks, Chief, for coming. I appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to, to share your message with us. Well, thanks for letting me be a part of it. I appreciate it. M Mary was going to do it, but the opportunity arose so late in her fight yeah, that she couldn't um, physically uh, manage it. So she, she, she would want me as soon as I could be helpful to be helpful. Mary and I, we worked our careers looking forward to retirement. And we saved and we did deferred comp and you know, we worked hard knowing that we had retirement coming. And over those years, we made this huge list of things that we were gonna do together in retirement. And we even joked at one point, we looked at the list and said, that's gonna take us 20 years to get all this stuff done. We got two. It kind of s sneaks up on you. I mean, sh she had a condition that w was b being managed well, and then it transitioned to a, f a fatal form of it. Um, and so she was looking at either managing um, the fatal form of the disease for as long as she could, a year or two or three or however long. It was progressing fairly quickly or having a bone marrow transplant and, and curing the disease. So typical, she swung for the fence and chose the bone marrow transplant. And over the 15 or 16 months, um, she swung for the fence trying to win every time, but we lost. You know, you don't always win. And so um, I think the intervening period, that 15 months and the issue of cancer, I mean, you can't, I mean, you get it, okay, somebody got cancer, and not to try and horrify everybody, but it was awful. I mean, <clears throat> you know, she, she couldn't eat from October till she passed away the following August. 
So every night I'd hook her up. So every night, every night I'd hook her up uh, to uh, IV feeding, take her off every morning. She's in pain. You know, the opioids didn't work, so she had to go to fentanyl patches, uncontrolled diarrhea, and throwing up every day. I mean, it was just awful. And so you think about that, okay, I got cancer, and, you know, it's really hard and the thing that you may not appreciate is all the people you love are going through this with you all the people that love you so um, your family that is caregivers and watching you suffer and go away they're ultimately changed forever you know your kids all the people that you say you're here for um, suffer through your cancer. And uh, if you really care about them, you would do everything you could to not have them have that experience. I was in the fire service for a total of almost 37 years. I, I think we do the best we can. We, we, I mean, when I started, um, my first turnout coat was an old tin foil reflective coat with a corduroy collar. Uh, and we never cleaned those things. Our turnout coats had the liners zipped in. So in the summer, we'd take the liners out because it was cooler. <laughs> and the BAs were in suitcases in the, in the apparatus. You know, we used to practice getting it down out of the compartment and putting the BA on. And you just didn't think about wearing a BA except when you went inside, um, and even then, you hooked up late and got off air early. And I, I mean, I can remember uh, when we first had the hazmat team beginning to come out and do air monitoring for us at structure fires. And at first, I, I kind of thought, oh God, here they are again. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna tell us we can't take our breathers off. And you know, all the guys, they wanna get those things off, man. They've been working through two, three, four bottles. They're heavy, they're tired. Um, we still got a lot of work to do. Um, and it went from, well, I'm not coughing very much, to, okay, there's not enough smoke to cough at all, so now I can take my breather off. And then it went to, well, I know the air looks clear, but there's still bad stuff in here, and no, they can't take their breathers off. And, and at the time, it was kind of like, fine, I'm really glad you're here. You know, but now you look at that in retrospect, and you think, wow, we should have been paying closer attention. And the reason we didn't, I think, was uh, to a large extent cultural. We, we know the job's dangerous. We knew it was dangerous when we signed on. Um, what uh, uh, Chief Coker, the chief engineer of the uh, FDNY, had a quote where he said, the, really the only act of courage is taking the oath. After that, it's just another day at the office. And we, we kind of accept those risks, that's fine. And I'm gonna mitigate those risks by being strong and being as healthy as I can be and working until I can't move anymore, I'm committed. Those are characteristics that we look for. Um, but at the same time, some of the things that affect us adversely, like cancer, 
have a latency period that I didn't have an immediate cause and effect. So I took my breather off early and I coughed a little bit and today I feel fine. So I must be okay. And, and that's not the case. So where, where we might say to ourselves, it's a bad idea to go through the green downhill on a fire. And I'm not gonna do that because I can be dead, regardless of how strong and committed uh, to my job that I am, uh, all that determination. And yet, you know, we sort of over the years ignored that other threat because it wasn't such an immediate threat. I won't linger on a mid-slope road with fire below me, but I'll take my breather off early because it's heavy. So that, that's where we came from. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how encouraging it is to see our department, among others, stepping forward and beginning to recognize that uh, that's as big a risk. And you know what? Cancer doesn't care how good a shape you're in. Cancer is going to visit you based on any one of a number of factors, including the risks that you accepted, willingly or unwillingly. Um, your toughness, your physical shape, all those things might help you survive your cancer, but cancer is going to visit you regardless of those other characteristics. So we really should be doing everything we can do to mitigate those risks as often and as much as we can. We can do all of the things engineering-wise and department-wise, uh, but without the personal commitment to lowering the risk. And you won't eliminate it. Right? The risk will be there. We chose this career knowing there were risks. And that's one of the risks that we accept. But we can lower that risk same as we lower all the firefighting risks through training, awareness, and our conduct. We're also very lucky to have uh, Megan Shacklett here today, who's the daughter of retired uh, uh, fire captain Jerry Shacklett, uh, who had his battles with cancer. Um, welcome, Megan. I appreciate the fact that you uh, came uh, halfway around the country to, to talk with us today. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your story with your dad and uh, him having occupational cancer and that whole thing from, your from the daughter's perspective. Sure, and thank you very much for having me. And it really is an honor uh, to be able to be here, to participate, to be asked. Um, Orange County Fire and all of you guys are always gonna be my family and I grew up with that. So. I am absolutely happy to do anything I can to help um, anybody in this organization or related to it um, to face this issue and to have a change. And Austin, congratulations on your status of being cancer-free. And I'm, you know, I'm really enthusiastic about um, everything that I've talked with. Uh, with Jeff about and all the initiatives that you guys are are doing, um, you know, and my my hats are off to off to you guys for all of those efforts. And I know that it's heartfelt, and I know that it's genuine. And the tough part becomes that it's it is heartfelt because it's about people that you know, and it's it's not just people; it's guys like my dad. And you know, from a daughter's perspective, like I I grew up around Orange County Fire. I grew up with my dad, you know, being in the fire service and 
that three shift calendar ruled our lives, <laughs> good, bad, and different. Um, you know, and there was um, there was always a risk, as you guys talked about. There was always a risk of, you know, dad could get hurt on the job and that kind of thing. Um, and I think it's a, an interesting, you know, idea that that families probably have of of what we perceive the risk will be of you know, dad, you know, getting hurt and that kind of thing and the typical falling through the roof or getting, getting hurt on a fire, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but that's definitely not what is shown to be, you know, what, what takes out the people that we care about the most in, in this service. And, um, you know, my, my dad was on the job for 35 years and obviously in that, that career length, you can imagine the amount of exposures that took place, you know, and my dad, if, if anybody knew my dad, you know, as far as I understood, he was, he was all about training and safety and, and doing the right thing and keeping his guys in and, you know, his, his men and women of his crews safe, um, you know, and I think his career started at a point where, you know, it, it was earlier on, you know, it wasn't 2017. My dad started in 1972. And so, um, you know, I think there was a lot of things that, you know, practices that were done back then, you know, that aren't done today, you know? And um, I remember, you know, my dad talking about, and we talked a lot about the changes and the things that happened and how he contracted this. And, you know, and he, he got cancer from, from this job. And, you know, it was, you know, I remember sitting at his house with him and, and I stayed with him, you know, during his care and during his, his time on hospice and everything. And, and, you know, we had a lot of long talks about a lot of different things and just a lot of time just between me and him about just dad and daughter time, you know, which was very special. And we, and we talked a lot about, you know, the department and the career and the people in it and how much, you know, everybody meant to him and, and the things that he would say, you know, about, we just didn't know back then, you know, or, you know, and, and he, kind of tasked me to a certain point when, you know, as he was getting closer to continue on to try to get this message back that, you know, if they know better, then you have to tell them they need to do better. Because I can tell you that sitting here, um, you know, every person in this department, you belong to somebody else first. And as much as, you know, I've worn a uniform too, but, you know, I've been in EMS for 19 years and as much as there is that belonging there, you know, you, you belong to us first. And, um, you taking care of yourself and your self-care and that touches a lot of subjects um, is the most important thing that you can ever do in your career is take care of yourself 
And so if it comes to, you know, all of those practices of, you know, all this stuff that you guys are talking about, you know, everything from the, the wellness program to now these are the times that we wear our SCBAs versus, you know, we used to not, or the rescue wipes or the decon or, you know, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, and more then that's the most important thing that as, you know, my dad's daughter, I can ask that you would please do is to take care of yourselves. You know, when you say take care of yourselves, uh, I think most firefighters out there would put them, their families in front of themselves every time. And yet, by taking care of yourself, you are putting your family up there. You are going to be around to take care of them. It's what they would want. Why would you not do what can, you know, what, why would you not take care of yourself so that you can take care of them later in life? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I sometimes think that, you know, I, I don't believe that's, that someone is going into doing something and, they, and they're being brazenly you know, obstinate and, and they, and they want to get sick. I don't, I don't believe that. Um, but I do believe that there is a way of being more proactive than reactive, like you guys are talking about. And I'm really proud of the people who are taking that as, you know, a, an on scene, you know, every single call, however that presents, um, because I can tell you, you know, getting that phone call from my dad um, when, like how Austin was describing that he had to call his wife, you know, um, when I was on the phone with my dad, um, that's a phone call I'll never forget. And I think the point is that doing all of these things in the prevention of, so you don't have to ever have that phone call happen, is that as the family members, if that's what I'm here to, you know, speak about, that's what we're asking you to do. Because um, it's one of the most painful things to have to have happen. And, um, you know, I, I miss my dad all the time. And I don't want anybody in this organization um, to have to go through something that is preventable. If, if there's anything that anybody can do about it, that we want you guys around forever. We want you guys around to have a good career, to have good times with your families, and to have long-lasting retirements that are healthy and fun because you deserve it because you worked hard. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you, and, and, and it's incumbent on every level, not, not just the folks sitting here uh, that are really the firefighters that are, that are here to attack and address the, the cancer epidemic, uh, but as the brotherhood, you know, so we hear, brotherhood and sisterhood looking out for each other so that we can take care of our families uh, and have a nice retirement. You know, the, uh, the, the NFFF or the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, their uh, tagline on everything is everyone goes home. And oftentimes 
that's seen as so short term, right? Everyone goes home at the end of their shift and man, we need to look bigger picture than that. We, we need to all make it to retirement and well into our retirement. You know, certainly if you can give back in retirement as many years as you put into the department, you're well ahead of the game. And the stats aren't there yet, uh, but our goal is that we can be around to take care of our families, uh, be that grandfather. Uh, some of the stories at that symposium of um, the daughter that talked about, you know, her dad who came down with cancer, his thing was he just wanted more days as a grandpa. And those days are cut short. And, and once again, I'll, I'll say it. If it's preventable, it's predictable. And, uh, and it's predictable for sure. And so uh, uh, we, we've done uh, some great things. The, the, the committee has done some great things with the uh, respiratory protection SOP uh, that's been updated. Uh, and, and in there, you know, it talks about <clears throat> the proper use of our SCBA throughout overhaul. Uh, you know, your respiratory system actually has 80 times the surface area as your skin. And so even though we talk about the dermal absorption, uh, we talk about the respiratory absorption, and if we wear that SCBA, we're, we're, we should be protected. But the key is uh, respiratory protection doesn't look like an N95 mask uh, when we're doing overhaul. We're going to use that SCBA throughout that overhaul phase. And uh, the investigators, which are, uh, in my opinion, probably some of the most exposed people in the organization as they have multiple dig outs every day and their PPE looks like uh, rubber boots and BDUs uh, and rubber gloves, um, they have certainly leaned into this issue as well and are taking all of the necessary steps to minimize their exposures as well. Um, the uh, asbestos uh, SOP, can you talk a little bit about uh, that SOP that's in the works? Because that's something brand new. We're not changing a respiratory protection. Uh, it's not like we're changing an SOP. This is a brand new thing uh, that is leading, uh, leaning into the problem of mesothelioma, which is at epidemic levels for firefighters, and that's, of course, because of asbestos exposure. Yeah, I'll talk on that. It, it, it's something that really I haven't heard of other departments that are really addressing. Um, even at the Cancer Symposium, they talked about asbestos and mesothelioma, but they didn't really talk about solutions and what anyone was doing to even um, analyze, address or analyze the issues. So what we're working on is a asbestos basically post-fire monitoring procedure that based on certain criteria, age of the building, um, uh, what it's made of, things like that, that'll be included in this SOP, that um, there'll be uh, a bulk sample that will be captured by either the investigators on scene, safety officer, we haven't really worked out the specifics. But that bulk sample will go off to a testing laboratory so they can test the building materials and what was in that um, environment to determine if there's any asbestos found. And the reason for that is not only, you know, with the self-contained breathing apparatus, you're going to be protecting your airway, but it also goes on to the ongoing contamination of your gear. 
And what we found is that local independent service providers that do the cleaning of, of your turnouts, um, when they clean asbestos-contaminated turnouts, they don't come back completely asbestos-free. Um, there's still asbestos detected and they can be pulled out of those, out of those um, fibers of the fabric. Lion Total Care, which is in Houston, Texas, has a proprietary process that they use for cleaning asbestos-contaminated turnouts. And what we've been doing in the past is anytime the word asbestos comes up, it's really unconfirmed if asbestos was contained in that building or not. But Service Center has been sending the gear to Lion Total Care. It costs more, it takes longer to get back, but we're trying to do the right thing by sending it there. And we're one of the only departments that I've heard of that when asbestos comes up and is, is talked about potentially contaminated turnouts from asbestos, that we're sending it to a specific location to clean specifically for asbestos. Um, so we're going to put a, a process in place so that we can test for that, and that'll really help us determine if the gear goes to Lion Total Care because it's contaminated with asbestos and it's confirmed, or if it can be cleaned in-house or with the local independent service provider. That's another example of really the leadership and your guys' organization and your section in being uh, proactive rather than reactive uh, and when nobody else is doing that and you guys are doing that I mean there's definitely a possibility of the exposure of even the people that are washing our turnouts here in the house if they don't know and they're just wearing maybe gloves or maybe an N95 as they're washing uh, turnouts for hours on end if they don't know uh, and this is that first step in maybe finding out that we're doing the right thing and, and, and being proactive by sending them out to that ISP. So important and I'm so proud of, of the work you guys are doing on that for sure. It just kind of shows the support of the organization because just uh, dovetailing onto what John was just saying, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there is no other agency that uh, does asbestos testing for, uh, for their firefighters and uh, we don't, we're not doing it yet, but we will be. Uh, this actually was um, uh, first uh, thought of by uh, retired Chief uh, Kirk Wells, and I had lunch with him, and he gave me his documentation, and and I'm just repackaging it and calling it our idea, but um, really he, he started down the road, and it's a great road to continue down, and we're going to make it happen. That's fantastic. Um, I know in the, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, uh, listening to that discussion on on a number of occasions, uh, it's it's brought up on more than one uh, on more than one occasion regards to ice machines. I know we have ice machines in some of our app rooms, and even though they have gaskets and stuff, isn't there a plan or something to uh, sometime in the future maybe get those tested just to ensure that we're not uh, exposing our folks to uh, the the pollution there from diesel exhaust? Yeah, we've. Um got some proposals from three different certified industrial hygienists that we're going to be using one of them to go out and test the ice from each of those ice machines just to determine if contaminants that could potentially cause cancer are found because of the placement of those in the app rooms. And really it's to determine if we keep them in the app rooms, if we move them into the, the living areas of the stations, and also as we design future stations, um, it's a design consideration on how we best best do that. Fantastic. I know uh, the last thing we want to do is be uh, to expose our folks to uh, diesel exhaust, which is uh, it's a class one carcinogen. 
and we're exposed to diesel exhaust every day, whether uh, you're just doing your run up on your engine and doing your equipment checkout. Uh, I know that uh, our stations all have the Plyme events uh, there. Not all of them are op uh, operative. And, and if they're not operative, um, man, we need to make that a priority to get those things fixed uh, because it is that important. The last thing we want to do is to, like I said, overlook something that can be controlled and we have the infrastructure already in the station to have it take place. And if we are just not writing it up uh, or it's not in operation and it's not handled, that's once again that personal responsibility and the leadership uh, responsibility so that that stuff's taken care of so we can capture that stuff. And it's also using the equipment the correct way as well. I've been to plenty of stations that the way they use the Plyme event is they pull the engine into the app bay and then they go and hook up the Plyme event after it's in the app bay. And when you look at all the videos and you talk to the people from Plyme event, the way that's designed is that when you pull up to the app bay before that, um, before that exhaust even crosses the line into the apparatus room. You get one of your crew members out on the floor, they hook up the Plyme event, and then you drive the rest of the way in. And you're really trying to keep all exhaust and all potential exposures out of the app bay, out of the, the station. And especially, you've got your gear grids there. So you've got your second set of turnouts, or you've got your gear, your spare uniforms, whatever it is, that are being stored right there in the app bay. And one of the reasons that it's the thought is on why you see so much testicular cancer in the fire service is that exhaust basically coating the gear that's being either stored in the app bay or when you turn down your gear and, and put it next to the exhaust and fire up the engine, that now you're contaminating the inside of your gear. You're putting it on, you're heating up, your pores are opening up, and that's increasing your exposure. Yeah. and. and I would say a vast majority of uh, of stations just pull in because it's so much easier that way. But once again, that, that's another example of how we can be more conservative and do the right thing. Um, I know in the past, as the engine would pull in, right, they would slow down or stop to where a guy would get off the rig when we first got the, the Plyme event. And then the person was stretching the hose he was having to be exposed to the exhaust and the engine would start to roll in because they don't want to wait there a second, right? Probably the safest thing you could do would be to pull in, set your brakes so that the guy knows that's my trigger to get off the rig so that there's no rolling vehicle incident with the personnel on the ground. Connect that thing and then they can, they, they can roll in, you know, uh, short of turning off the vehicle, which I'm sure, uh, would expose that guy less you know wherever you draw the line personally i get it but certainly do the right thing stop outside set the brakes connect that thing and then pull in is the safest way to go and it, it also goes to the um, kind of the stories that we create is to justify the behaviors that we we start to do and the story i hear is that you know, when you start up the engine, that's when the diesel exhaust is bad, but once it's warmed up, then it's, it's okay. And yeah, when you fire it up and it's cold, that is when it's at its worst, but it doesn't mean that when it's running and you're coming back into the station that there still is an exhaust and you still aren't creating an exposure inside.
and all these behaviors and practices that we talk about now that are more conservative and kind of go against the culture or the grain, like we've talked about, Captain Hughes, it's going to be hard because people aren't going to see necessarily the effects of these good behaviors and practices because right now we're just dealing when we don't do something right, we deal with the repercussions, which is the cancer and the job-related illnesses. So it will be hard moving forward to measure uh, to some degree the success of all these things that are happening because hopefully we don't hear any news. You know, hopefully no news is good news as far as cancer. So it's one of those things that it, we have to embrace because we know that the job-related cancer is there, but uh, hopefully going forward, we don't, we don't see the success because it goes unnoticed because things are going right. Well, it, it, as, we near, as we're nearing kind of the end of this thing, how, let's talk about some things that we can do either on a personal level or, and we don't even need to talk about on the organizational level because you guys are already doing the right things and pushing the organizational stuff up that chain, which, you know, knock on wood, I'm so proud of the leadership of this organization that has taken this seriously and, and is uh, certainly uh, bought in 100% to the protection of their people. But uh, let's just kind of a round table. Let's talk about some stuff that we can all do. Um, I'll start then. How about uh, wear your air? You know, we, we shouldn't be exposed to smoke and, and think that you know, we're just going to mask up when, uh, when we're inside the structure. Um, if you're smelling smoke, you're being exposed. So wear your air early and often. Uh, we take that oath when we get sworn in yeah. that we're going to protect the public. But we also need to make sure we're taking that oath to take care of ourselves and take care of our coworkers. So part of this program that I'm excited to be about is going to be holding each other accountable. So don't be afraid to talk to your buddy or your coworker and say, hey, you know, clean your gear, keep everything uh, the way it should be. Uh, like we talked about that uh, salty badge of, you know, honor, those turnouts, uh, that's going away now. The new culture is uh, bracing clean gear, clean air, clean body as we go about, um, knowing that the threat of the job-related cancer is there. Uh, we need to take all those steps that we can to prevent that. Yeah, definitely. Uh I was just going to say, make, make the uh, right choices, no matter how inconvenient they are. The, as, if it's as simple as putting on sunscreen, that's an easy one. Using the wipes or packaging your turnouts, giving them to the service center, and getting them cleaned. Um, none of these choices are going to be convenient. SCBA through overhaul. Uh, it's going to take, it's going to be more work. It's going to... Uh, maybe require more manpower on scene by the incident commander to rotate crews in and out. Inconvenient choices, but they're the right ones and they're for your own health. So that's, that's what I think. I remember what kind of resonates with me was a San Diego firefighter who, who said that you think that you're tired uh, after the firefight to continue to wear your SCBA through overhaul. Try picking up your eight-year-old kid when you're going through chemotherapy. Uh, that's a challenge. And, and so doing the right thing now can maybe prevent uh, terrible things later. So let's just try to, to clean our act up, right? Uh, removing some of that, uh, the products of combustion off of our turnouts before we get back in the rig. Wipe down your skin. Shower as often as you can. You know, wear clean uniforms and clean turnouts. Uh, decon your equipment, your SCBA is exposed to the same things. What about your cab? 
if you ride back because you didn't, you know, you're not prepared with maybe additional clothing to wear on the way back to uh, the station, your cabs, when's the last time your cab was actually cleaned? Uh, there will be some guidelines, and if anybody has any questions about guidelines before this stuff officially comes out, feel free to contact, uh, you can contact me uh, in training, and, and I will help with some guidelines as to how we can decon the calves because your seatbelt, your seats, wherever it comes in contact with the contaminated turnouts, those are things that need to be addressed, and they need to be addressed after every fire. Um, don't use tobacco if you can, I mean, that could be the single healthiest thing that you can do for yourself in any, in any use of tobacco, chewing uh, cigars or cigarettes, hydrate, drink water before you're thirsty, exercise, live a good, healthy lifestyle. Um, all of these things are not just for you. They're for your family, your longevity, and your retirement, and it should be number one priority, I think, so. I think with that, guys, uh, 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 we've hit on a number of things today, we, and definitely the, the cancer piece, uh, it's not going away. And so we've only touched on a few uh, tactics that the department is moving forward on, uh, but we're all committed to, to changing the trajectory of, of where the occupation's going, and I applaud all of you for being here and, and talking about this stuff. Uh, because it's important to you and it's important to your brothers and sisters. So thank you. Now that we're about wrapped up with this uh, cancer awareness and prevention information out here on the podcast, if uh, this information has uh, reached you and you feel compelled to assist in this effort, uh, reach out to uh, Jeff Hughes, uh, the OCFA email address, or Austin Cree, and we can certainly assist you in assisting us. We could certainly use it and we appreciate it. Uh, in addition to that, uh, if you uh, have a cancer diagnosis and you are in need of resources um, to assist with your effort, uh, please once again reach out to uh, Austin Cree or Jeff Hughes and we'll do whatever we, it takes to assist you in that. Uh, with that, that wraps up this uh, podcast. All right. Thanks so much, guys, uh, Jeff Hughes, and, and all you guys who really uh, put this together. Uh, cancer is something, unfortunately, that I think affects all of us globally, um, both on the job and off the job. But when you look at the, the increasing cancer rates amongst firefighters, um, it, it begs the question, what are we doing? And, and and when we look at what Jeff Hughes and some of the others of the, the Contaminant Reduction Committee or, or Cancer Awareness and Prevention Committee have put together, including Jonathan Wilby and Risk Management, I just can't thank them enough. So uh, thank you guys for putting together the curriculum. Uh, that training will be rolling out to you um, before the end of the year. And uh, ultimately, we just look to, to send you home uh, equal to the, the level of health that you brought us or better. So look for more information on how you can prevent cancer kind of in the coming uh, months. And uh, remember to hold each other accountable, man. If you see a guy with a dirty helmet um, who's trying to bring his turnouts into the sterile area within the station or the dorm, don't be afraid to say something. Uh, just like a wildland fire, how many times do we have uh, fatalities on fires where the crews would look back and go, oh yeah, I wanted to say something, but I just, I didn't. So don't be afraid to hold each other accountable. All right, as you know, the board of directors uh, will be meeting this Thursday, the 28th, uh, as I mentioned. And in addition to 
uh, giving us the go-ahead probably for Garden Grove. Um, kind of even on a bigger topic or more widespread for the entire fire authorities, the board is expected to name a new interim fire chief. So no matter who it is, uh, we'll sit down with him um, early next week for our next podcast. So you'll get the latest and greatest there. And if you have any questions or concerns or thoughts that you'd like to be shared for that interview, uh, go ahead and, and uh, just shoot an email, text, or a phone call over to uh, multimedia specialist Kevin Hansen, and uh, we'll hope to address those during that next interview. So I know I've uh, packed a lot in there. appreciate for your patience. And uh, thanks again for tuning into our podcast. We're doing everything we can to try to communicate in every media um, fashion possible, and we appreciate you taking the time, hopefully uh, on, a, on a commute or a time where uh, you can spend it by enhancing your communication or your understanding of what's going on at the fire authority. So thanks again. Watch out for each other, and we'll talk to you soon.